Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today we are going to talk about how to protect and equip our children in a declining culture. Now, Aaron, can you maybe just explain to us declining culture? Why would you describe what we're in as a declining culture? Well, I'm not hung up on that particular language as if that's the only language we can use. But when we look around us, I think it is a good word to sort of describe what we're seeing. Uh, We see a lot of, we've always seen a lot of nasty things throughout human history. Although for several hundred years, as a result of Christian values being recognized in culture, we were sort of on the upswing. And now we're very much on the the downswing. So we have a lot of different problems going on in culture. We have a poor view of justice, which is polluting a lot of people, Uh, an unbiblical view of justice where many people are manufacturing justice movements in order to promulgate or promote an ideology or a worldview that is diametrically opposed to Christian values. And uh, we see that in a lot of these movements. So for example, you and I, and our church is very opposed to racism, right? So we have people here of all skin colors and backgrounds, and we we, we love ev- everyone. Uh, the gospel calls us to love everyone. But the BLM movement is not really about that. It's about advancing Marxism and an anti-Christian agenda, the, the decline of the nuclear family. Uh, the indigenous issue, I've spoken out strongly uh, in terms of uh, my opposition to the residential school movement. But these movements are being hijacked by people who have nefarious agendas to foist upon our culture, Marxist agendas, which are essentially anti-Christian. So they want to basically, within culture, strip away all the vestiges of biblical Christianity. And and there's still some there. They're they're weak. They're crumbling. But there's still some there. And um, so we have that. And that affects our young people. There's a lot of... Um, sexual confusion, of course, since the 1960s with the advent of the sexual revolution, we've seen a lot of sexual perversion, but now sexual perversion has become normalized and not only normalized, but it's gone beyond that to be the dominant, you know, acceptable worldview in, in, in the West. We have uh, a lot of pollution that our children are being exposed to through social media and through, through the internet. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of churches don't seem to be very proactive in equipping our young people to think Christianly, to have a proper Christian world and life view, to sort through the big questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? To whom am I accountable? And so these are these are of grave concern uh, to Christian people as we see the decline of, of the West. And the this decline has a radical effect on our young people. I'll add one more thing, hopelessness. You know, as a result of Darwinian evolution's viewpoint that we're just sort of uh, products of of, uh, random chance, we're not made in the image and likeness of God, we're not of infinite or eternal value, that worldview uh, is complicit in the rise of suicides, depression, anxiety, and the like, because if people can't find, and they won't, lasting satisfaction in the physical world, then there's nothing left to be uh, there's no other place to find it. So these are things that concern me and, and I'm sure you as well and many others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you, uh, I think, hit the nail on the head in terms of 
describing it as the declining culture. I know many people um, I talk to, myself included, are concerned about the effects of what we might call wokeness on their children um, and thinking about the potential impacts of the tyranny we're seeing as well because we're thinking long-term for our kids. Yeah. And there's rightly, they, we should be concerned about that. So maybe you could highlight some of the key dangers specifically our children face. Yeah, so you need to identify the enemy before you can fight the enemy. So a few things, this isn't a comprehensive list, but a few things parents should be very, very aware of in terms of what are the ideologies, what are the enemies that are directly assaulting and attacking our children? Well, in part, the reason why our children are being attacked is because parents are being attacked. Just like if you want to destroy a marriage, you attack the husband. Make the husband feel weak, useless, confused, incompetent, and you've destroyed the marriage. So in the same way, in culture, there's the demise of parental authority where parents are increasingly hindered from exercising discipline over their children. Many parents have completely offloaded their responsibility to educate their children to sort of give moral input to their children. And, and because no one can live without authority, with the demise of parental authority has come the rise of state authority. So even with, um, you know, the, the vaccinations, which we're not going to talk about in this podcast today, but I just want to use it as an illustration, that the notion that a 12-year-old in the province of Ontario can essentially be lured to a vaccination clinic with the offer of free ice cream and be vaccinated potentially contrary to his parents' will, but certainly without his parents' knowledge, which is perhaps even worse, is a classic example of the state saying, we will not acknowledge the authority of an adult over their minor child, nor uh, are we uncomfortable with exercising authority over the bodily autonomy of your child in contrast to parental authority. So that's a big one. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of parents because they've been raised in that and it's a worldview issue. They're not even aware of it. They just feel kind of incompetent to, to speak into their children's lives and perhaps even unsure. These are adult people, adult parents, unsure whether they even have authority over their children to give them moral, spiritual, uh, you know, life, life uh, guidance. Uh, secondly, and these are no particular order, but secondly, I'm very concerned about the absolute open, unfettered access that many young people have to deviant worldviews and temptations via the, the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's, it's shocking to me. And, uh, you know, we're, we're a church that's pretty hardcore when it comes to biblical truth. But I've talked to parents even in our own circles of influence who allow their children, their minor children, to have cell phones, access to the internet or laptops or, or iPads, access to the internet with no filtering and no restrictions whatsoever. Your child can literally get on the internet, and kids do, by the way, from a very young age, see deviant pornography, uh, be exposed to bestiality, uh, be exposed to aberrant worldviews, be exposed to uh, you know pedophiles and you know creeps that are out looking for your children. I mean, it's, it's literally, it's like sticking your kid's head in the sewer mm -hmm. and expecting them not to gulp, you know, down the, the refuse. Um, it, the, the internet can be a great place for gospel proclamation, but it's also a cesspool 
of the most disgusting, foul, anti-creational, anti-God, dehumanizing garbage that you can possibly imagine. And many parents, unfortunately, I think because they are frankly lazy or distracted with other responsibilities, often give their children access to these things. That has to stop because it's destroying mm -hmm. lives. I've, I've sort of half joked, but it's not even something to joke about. If you want job security, go into counseling because there's so many people's jobs, lives that are being destroyed because of inept, incompetent parenting, lazy parenting, that you're, you're just creating an absolute backlog of people that are addicted to pornography, et cetera. I, I, I barely, if ever, meet young men anymore that don't have some issue in this area. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just at their fingertips. Third, we have a false view of justice that's disconnected from a biblical view of justice. And I kind of mentioned this in my previous comments. There's all these justice movements. We've noticed mm -hmm. that, right? Yep. So um, people that are <clears throat> maybe not great at listening, they'll think I'm, you know, they, they might accuse me, oh, you're a racist or, you know, you don't care about uh, indigenous children. Actually, I, I think I care about these issues more than godless people do because I happen to be filled with the spirit of God. So, but I'm not going to spend the, the, the bulk of this podcast defending my motives. I'm just going to speak to it from a, a worldview perspective. And that is that when godless people who don't acknowledge God, who have no ultimate sense that they're made in the image and likeness of God or that their fellow man is made in the image and likeness of God, who don't have an inerrant Bible, who don't worship the true God of the universe, suddenly get all justice-y on us, that should raise minimally some yellow, if not red flags. Mm -hmm. Because these movements, they, they present themselves as righteous and good, but in fact, they're infected and they're corrupted with other agendas. And some of the, the people that may be leading chapters or you know marching in these marches may not even be aware of that. They just think they're doing good and they're contributing to society and it's the right thing to do and they're standing against racism or they're standing against discrimination. Folks, these, these worldviews, if, if the worldview, if the movement is not hitched to God, don't hitch your wagon to their horse, so to speak, because they, they, these movements are deliberately used to bring about the demise of Western values, previously known as Christian values. Mm -hmm. So we, we have uh, movements like that that are affecting a lot of our young people because young people are generally interested in getting involved in you know, social justice movements. But if they're not being led properly, literally there's, there's people that get involved in these movements that are led away from Christ. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. They're not led toward Christ, they're led away from Christ. So most of the folks that I know that are the most vocal in terms of supporting these woke movements are very left-leaning liberal Christians that threw out an inerrant Bible a long time ago. That should concern us. And then we we live in a world, again, because of Darwinian evolution, this, this uh, the lack of messaging that you're made in the image and likeness of God, where our young people just struggle with this sense of hopelessness. Like if you're not an eternal being, there's no ultimate right and wrong, God has not said you are eternally loved regardless of what your parents or friends think. That leads people to hopelessness and suicidal thoughts, a sense of smallness. Now, we are small compared to God, of course. But uh, this sense of I'm, I'm a nobody, I have no meaning, I have no purpose. This is the kind of language we see in the tired eyes, the fearful eyes of many of our, our young people. Many are also compensating for that hopelessness through a form of outward perfectionism. 
so there's a, 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 you know, a lot of messaging that goes out to young girls in particular. They have to look like, you know, the, the, the perfect woman, right? They, and, and these images that they're presented with of these, uh, you know, supermodels are now like the norms. Like everybody looks like that online. You got the filters going on. Um, you know, you got all the manipulative software going on. So you can, you can take someone and just make them look like, wow, like the most beautiful young girl that's ever walked the face of the planet. But in reality, they know they're not, and they don't need to be that. There, there's no such thing as the most beautiful person that's ever walked the face of the planet, by the way. It's all really a, a relative in many respects. But, um, a lot of folks that are just absolutely fixated with outward appearance, I've called out some of our young men you know, I'm in favor of working out. I'm in favor of body care. I'm not in favor of doing those things to get attention. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you're pumping iron because you enjoy the, the sport or you, you, you know, your job requires it, or you just, you're just committed to physical fitness. That's fine. Hopefully you're equal. You're even more committed to, to spiritual fitness, but if you're doing these things, you can throw in your tight t-shirt and walk around and look like Superman. Um, you're a narcissist. Mm -hmm. That's pride. It has to stop. So this ex ex fixation, I would say, on external appearance. And then we have, um, you know, the permissiveness and the legalization of dangerous substances. When I was in high school, people did drugs, hashish, marijuana, et cetera, maybe a few snorted cocaine, but it was always a subculture. It was never mainstream. It was never acceptable. No one would ever say that's acceptable behavior. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, if you did, your parent probably was on it too. Um, now it's mainstream. You know, we, we have the legalization, a lot of these substances or sort of a licentious approach from the police, ah, whatever, who cares? Everybody does it. So a lot of folks are getting involved in dangerous substance abuse. No one bats an eye when kids are drunk, uh, you know, abusing alcohol, et cetera. And then one final thing, Chris, that concerns me, and I'm just going to label it educationalism. <laughs> So why do I use this uh, this language? Getting educated is a good thing, although there's a lot of question marks surrounding Western um, medical or, or Western educational institutions and the true agendas that they have. But educationalism is this um, foolhardy approach that a lot of parents take where it's just they just push their kids, push their kids, get as much education as you can, get as much education as you can. And it becomes like an idol. It's not even disconnected from life goals or an assessment of a person's strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. It's just education for the sake of education because someone said you should be educated because education's good because you should get education. Mm -hmm. It's nonsense. So a lot of folks dedicate themselves to getting all this education, but it doesn't lead them anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that leads to despair or distraction from a more balanced world and life view. Yep. And leads to huge debt loads that are un unbelievably hard to uh, get out from. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, okay. So our listeners listening and probably the majority of them are going, yep, I see that, see that too. Uh, and are thinking, what do we do as parents as churches. And I know that's a big question. And so one of the things we like to do is break it down into different spheres and think about, you know, okay, localized as my household, what can we do in our home? And then maybe we'll talk about what we can do as churches. And then maybe third, we'll talk about how we bring change to culture. So we'll, we'll first zero in on what can we do in our homes to protect and equip our children to respond? Well, broadly speaking, I, I, I've been saying this a lot lately. We got here by lies, so we get out by truth. So all of these things that we've talked about, 
the false view of justice, the sense of smallness, the permissiveness of substance abuse, the demise of parental authority, the rise of statism. We got here because of lies. We were taught this. These are lies. And so we have to teach our way out of it. And that's a long-term game. So first of all, parents need to take upon themselves a primary responsibility to actually teach and educate their children. So this is really important. You got to teach your way out of this. So this means as parents, we need to increasingly be growing in our ability to understand, to digest, and then to communicate what it is we're seeing in culture mm -hmm. and have meaningful conversations with our kids about this. So I, I'm a big advocate and open, clear communication parent to child. Let your kids know what you know. Identify the enemy and identify the lies. You can do this from the time they're little. They're watching a movie. Hey, did you hear a little lie there? Let's pit pause. A, a buddy of mine, Nate Wright, who has a podcast on this network, I listened to one of his podcasts a, long, a little while ago, and I was kind of impacted by that, where he's describing sitting in front of his a movie. I think he's watching Frozen, perhaps with his little mm -hmm. girl, and he kind of hits pause. He just spot the lie, spot the lie. So this is a very good thing to do uh, for young people. A lot of parents think the way to protect my kid from evil is to protect them from ever talking about what's going on in the world. Just kind of keep them naive and hopefully that'll be helpful. No, I appreciated what my mom did for me and what I've tried to do for my kids is pretty much any issue is on the table. It's open for discussion. Obviously, you're going to discuss it on an age-appropriate level, but help your kids to identify the enemies around them. This also helps to build their consciences, helps them to understand right from wrong and to actually feel the how repulsive evil is and how how um, uh, much of a blessing goodness and righteousness is. So parents, I, I just want to say this. You remember in Deuteronomy where uh, Deuteronomy 6, where we're taught to talk about God's word, whether we're walking by the way in the mm -hmm. gate, wherever we are, we're just this whole idea of teaching them the word of God every single day, not just on Sundays, not just on the Sabbath. So per parental authority, um, if you're a mom and dad and you sign up to be a mom and dad, well, if you're a mom and dad, guess what? You have the primary responsibility to educate your children in a Christian world and life view. Do you understand that? It's really important for us to drive this mm -hmm. point home. It's so simple and historic, but we have to emphasize this a lot lately because people aren't used to this way of thinking. Mm -hmm. But you are primarily responsible for the education of your children. Now, there's nothing wrong with a parent delegating authority. So if you want to send your kid to a educational cooperative, a Christian school, et cetera, you can do that. But every word that your child is taught is ultimately your responsibility. So you can't, mm -hmm. you can't give it away. You can delegate it. You can't mm -hmm. give it away. You can't relinquish responsibility. Every word that they are taught to you, uh, they are taught in school is on you. It's on you. Now, people often would make the mistake in the past of saying, of thinking, well, I'm going to send my you know, six-year-old, let's say, or seven-year-old into you know the public system because you know I want them to be a missionary, right? <laughs> well, folks, get a life. Six <laughs> and seven year olds make terrible missionaries against woke ideologues. <laughs> they don't even know what that is. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not the that's not the the, the life stage to, to make a missionary. You want to get your kids praying for lost people and sharing their faith with their friends, etc. But you are ultimately responsible. Now, in the past, there there was a point in time when public schooling wasn't so bad because it was a Christianized culture. 
And when I went to public school, I went to public school from uh, kindergarten up to grade, um, I think grade eight, and then again for grade 12, and then I was in the Catholic system in between. Hmm. Uh, there, there was a lot of nasty stuff, but um, you know, my, some of my, my teachers would, uh, we'd recite the Lord's Prayer. We'd read scripture in class. Um, you know, I don't, I don't remember anybody saying, yeah, it's okay to, you know, go sleep with your girlfriend or mm-hmm. lie to your parents or, uh, you know, go look at pornography. Like that, that wasn't accepted. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you weren't allowed to pretend you were a girl if you're a boy or vice versa. So it was more Christianized because of the effects of culture. Now it's anti-Christian. It's not just unchristian; it's anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. So, if you put your kids in a public school, you need to know all all the woke ideologies and lies that they're they're taught because you decided to put them there. You're responsible for all of that. Mm-hmm. You're going to stand before God and give an account for that. So, make sure that you're teaching your children uh, monitor their access uh, to the internet. And normalize accountability. Make it normal in your family to be able to ask questions like, you know, hey, little Johnny, um, what have you been seeing lately? Are there what are your highs and lows spiritually? Are there things you've been exposed to that are inappropriate? How are you using, you know, this this tool? Um, so just normalize that. Don't be the silent parent that never asks. Keep those um, communication lines of communication open. If you have a child that's kind of computer savvy, be extra careful. Mm Because they'll find ways around it. So you have to monitor that. And again, if your children become sex addicts because you haven't done your job and you're just allowing them to be exposed to all sorts of perversion, that's on you. Okay, that's on you. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you have have, uh, participated in in their spiritual demise and in their abuse. Chris, I also think worshiping together as a family is pretty important. So... um, it's sad to me that I, I do know of parents, of young people who have spoken to me, let's say they're preparing for marriage or whatnot, and you start chatting about their family background, and maybe you even know their parents. And, and you're surprised, maybe you've known their parents for years, to find out they never prayed together, they never worshipped together, they didn't have any biblical conversation during the week. That was just delegated to the youth pastor mm-hmm. or Sunday morning. So it's important to be playing worship music in your home, to let your kids hear you singing, whether you have a good voice or not, to encourage them to sing worship music, to pray together, to have biblical conversations with your children. One thing I did uh, for a period of time when my kids were sort of in those you know, middle school to high school years is I'd set aside Mondays and I would take one kid out every Monday on a rotating basis. So I have five kids. So there was every five weeks they'd have time with me. And we, you know, we'd go mini golf or go for wings or go to a movie or whatever. But then I would always ask sort of a, a little cluster of penetrating questions mm-hmm. like, um, you know, what are your highs and lows? How are your relationships with your mom, your siblings, with me? Uh, what are some things, you know, that you're finding a lot of joy in? Where are you struggling? Those, those were beautiful, um, you know, moments when my kids were sort of in that age group. And that, uh, that just opened the lines of communication. I also think it's important to present your kids with uh, a positive view of the traditional family. So that involves modeling it, mm-hmm. you know, between you and your wife. Um, inviting healthy families over. You know, I know you guys are very hospitable. You like to have people over your home. So do we. And some people you have over because you're sort of ministering to them. But some people it's just more of a cooperative thing where, you know, they're solid, you're solid. And it's just a great opportunity for your kids to meet other 
healthy, um, you know, Christian people and see how their relationships work. I also think being really honest about the friends, the boyfriends, the girlfriends that your kids may eventually acquire is super important. I know Christian people, they don't, they don't ever provide any guidance. It's like their, their, their daughter brings home an unbelieving boyfriend and they're just mum on it. Don't say anything. Just praying that he goes away. But they don't actually help them to assess and analyze what kind of relationship should I actually be in? What, what are the marks of a young, godly, potential future spouse? Which is what a boyfriend and girlfriend always should yep. be. Um, maybe saying, hey, I noticed you're for like for example, one of my kids, I, 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 a couple of my kids, I can recall where their friend group started to be, I would say, a little bit questionable at times, different phases. And I wouldn't come down hard, but I would, I'd be like, you know what? I don't know if I feel comfortable with the group you're with. They just they don't seem to have a passion for the Lord. I mean, they, they may be they may even be church kids or from the Christian school, but they don't really seem to have a passion for the Lord. And and you know, as you have these conversations, your kids would often admit, yeah, you know, they're they're not really spiritually edifying, and those relationships would eventually fizzle out and be replaced by people who, you know, have some spiritual um, depth to them. I also think if you're in a church where you have this opportunity that you should encourage, and what I actually mean by that is mandate <laughs> yes. participation in a youth group. Um, youth groups are a great place for people to learn social skills, for people to develop strong, sometimes lifelong peer relationships, to develop accountability relationships with their peers, to, to serve and be served by people in that age group. And um, I'm a big advocate of that. I was a youth pastor for eight and a half years back in the early days. And I, I just really think those are critical. Um, a, that's a critical time in our young people's lives. And our kids only, only were blessed by that, mm -hmm. not cursed by it. They were only blessed by that. And then the final thing that I would say we can do as parents, and this is where I kind of have the, the, the bulk of my emphasis in this podcast is recommending good reading for your kids. Very early on, kids can start reading worldview books. Yeah, Obviously, they should be reading their Bible. Um, we've encouraged that, but reading good worldview books, listening to podcasts, uh, listening to, to, to good sermons, even sending them to, to worldview camps. So you can go, you know, run off to some Christian camp and some guy gives you a little devotional every day in a pep talk. And the rest of the time you're climbing ropes and scaling rock walls and everything else. So that's fun. I get it. That's fun. But I really have a lot of respect for the Ezra Institute uh, down in Grimsby, Ontario. They have worldview camps for young people. And your kids can go there with 30, 40 other Christian men and women or boys and girls and actually be taught high-level apologetics uh, receive cultural training, training in cultural theology, how to spot mm -hmm. lies. What a what an incredible investment. I wish that was around when I was a kid. What an incredible investment you can make in your kids by actually sending them to a camp like that where they can have their, their worldview shaped by thoughtful theologians, pastors, worldview thinkers, businessmen, physicians that think like Christians and act like Christians in their vocation. And it helps to it helps to inspire them and to help them be be thoughtful uh, responders to the challenges of our world. Mm -hmm. 
it really seems like the uh, the need for taking responsibility is the at the core of it. Parents need to take responsibility themselves, not offload it to the next uh, group of people. At the same time, there's benefits mm-hmm. to surrounding yourself with a good network of people that can sharpen your thinking and be a, a huge blessing to your kids. So on that kind of note, moving into thinking about our churches, some of the people listening are in a position of authority in their church. They can make these changes, some maybe not as much, uh, but we can still apply these principles. So what can we do in our churches to combat this declining yeah. culture? Yeah. Well, I, um, okay, I'm going to make a, a, a joke at the risk of offending you, Chris. Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, you and I chatted about this. So I was raised in public and Catholic schools up to 12th grade, you were homeschooled right through, right? That's right. Okay. So you and I joked about how kind of the, the historic stereotype of homeschooling. Yes. Or <laughs> <laughs> some kids come out not, not being able to read and write or socially awkward. And there's actually some truth to that because I think back when the schooling system was still Christianized, that a lot of folks that, and this is my, um, uh, you know, educated hunch, as what I've observed. A lot of folks back in the day used to homeschool because they felt inadequate. They maybe were bullied in school or just didn't have a good experience in school. So they're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to homeschool my kids to sort of save them from the pain that I experienced. Hmm. But in doing so, they didn't necessarily equip them in homeschooling to still think and act like Christians. Right. They just, they just kind of used the same curriculum that was used in the public school but instead of a kid coming out able to relate to others, they kind of just came out socially awkward. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the historic um, uh, stereotype of the, the, the homeschooling kid that's just socially awkward. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the point I want to make there is not to trash homeschooling because I'm a big proponent of it. Technically, I think a better term is parental schooling because the home, the word homeschooling emphasizes the location but parental schooling emphasizes the authority behind the educator, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the parent's responsibility. So that's a little sidebar. So, you know, we have a parental schooling network in our church, not a homeschooling network, and that language is deliberate. But that's, I, I, thus I digress. Mm-hmm. Um, I want, what I want people to understand is that if you're going to homeschool, you don't homeschool just because you're terrified of your mm-hmm. children ever meeting people that may be bad apples, nor do you homeschool your kids because your end goal is I got to protect little Johnny at all costs from you know any little right. thing that might ruffle yep. his feathers. Um, you have to do it on principle. Mm-hmm. You have to do it on principle. So um, part of the one of the blessings we have of being in churches is that other people, and again, not to minimize the fact that we are ultimately responsible as parents to educate our children. But we also have other people that are willing to help us with that, help us with that, not take the ultimate responsibility, mm-hmm. but help us with that. So there, there is a, a lot of wisdom to be found in a Christian parent that says, okay, I'm ultimately responsible, but I know I'm not ultimately awesome. You know, I have character flaws, knowledge flaws. I'm only one personality. It's very wise for a parent to deliberately expose their child to other godly mentors and leaders, mm-hmm. father, mother types in the church. Mm-hmm. So um, when, when our kids were sort of going through youth group and, and one of them still is in that age group, um, 
one of my biggest blessings as a father. Okay, and I'm a pastor. So I'm, I'm having these conversations with my kids. I'm thinking about these issues. But one of my biggest blessings is seeing other people in our church mentor my children. And that often took place through youth groups. So we'd have a slate of youth leaders and my kids would go to youth group every week and they develop their friendships. And then they would often just have like a, uh, a natural camaraderie with uh, a youth leader, always of the same gender, of course. <laughs> and, you know, that youth leader would, um, you know, invite them to be part of the youth worship band or, you know, take them shopping or out for ice cream with their friends and just invest in their lives. So my kids from an early age developed meaningful relationships with other Christian adults that have only ever been positive role models to my kids. And I'm super thankful for those people. I feel like naming them right now, but I won't. So um, creating a culture within your church where your children can be discipled and mentored by others is very wise. And churches should facilitate that and encourage that. How do we do that? Let's not segregate all our ministries. So it's okay to have a women's ministry, a men's ministry, and a youth ministry, but where are your ministries where everyone can come together Mm -hmm. and get to know one another? Um, Or even within your youth ministry, are youth leaders trained in thinking in such a way they actually want to, they're not just delivering a lesson and delivering a program, but they're actually mentoring and discipling the young people in and outside of the programs. So I I love the idea of a, a church can contribute to uh, training and equipping our children up to combat the declining culture by providing youth ministries and discipleship options that that teach people to worship and, and fellowship with one another. Now, I, um, <clears throat> I also am uh, a big proponent in pastors and elders and church leaders being very deliberate in investing the bulk of their energy, discipleship energy, in discipling Young people, we have to do this because young people get old very quickly. (laughs) And one of the mistakes pastors often make, so here I am as a middle-aged guy, one of the the mistakes I could make is, well, I'm only going to hang out with and invest in guys my age. So if I'm a young pastor, I'm into young people. If I'm a middle-aged pastor, I'm into the middle-aged people. If I'm an old pastor, I just invest in the seniors ministry. This is a colossal mistake. All maturing adults should take a vested interest in discipling our young people and our newlyweds because they're most likely to be the ones that are going to bear the next generation of mm-hmm. children, you know, unless you're like Sarah and Abraham. <laughs> yeah. Our seniors ministry is the place to be. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, unless you have a child later in life, most people that are bearing the children are the young people. And so that's going to happen really quick. I've been pastoring this church for 20 years and you know, you're, I'm now marrying people that I remember when they were literally babies mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm starting to see some of the young people that you know I discipled when they were younger bear children. So the reason why we have to disciple, we have to be very intentional in discipling our young people is because they're the ones that are gonna have the next generation of children. And if we can equip them to think Christianly before they have children, when the time comes to have children, mm-hmm. they're gonna be well-equipped to train them in a Christian world and life view. Mm-hmm. So this is a strategic move. Um, you know that I invest a lot of time in our church in the young men who, uh, you know, like the 16 to sort of 25-ish years old, especially, those are the guys 
that are getting into their employment, figuring out relationships with girls, getting married, and starting to have kids. So I want to make sure they're well equipped for that. And so this is a not only do I you know just love that age group, but it's it's a strategic move. I'm saving myself and future generations of pastors a lot of work if I do a good job in equipping the young men and my wife and others equipping the young women in the church to think Christianly because they're going to have the families of the future. Mm-hmm. So even if um, even if a pastor only disciples you know five or ten guys in a group every year, think about how that replicates itself. So in five years you've you've uh, invested in fifty, right? In 10 years, you've invested in 100. Well, those are probably going to be the vast majority of the future deacons, elders, leaders, youth leaders, worship leaders, disciple makers in your church. And you know, because you spent time with them, they they think like Christians. Mm-hmm. They actually think like Christians. And their their children are starting to act like Christians because they mm-hmm. their parents think like Christians. Yep. So those are some things that come to mind. I also think churches need to do more conferences or resources or seminars or classes, just head on, flat out addressing these issues. Every once in a while, it's kind of irritating to be honest at this point, but every once in a while we have people say, stay out of politics, stay out of the culture wars, just preach the gospel. Talk about a truncated, dilapidated, weak view of what the gospel is. The gospel, folks, is not just about getting your fire insurance from hell and getting to heaven. The gospel is about the lordship of Christ over all of creation, your life in the now, your life in the future, and the sacrificial work of Christ to prove and secure and uh, trumpet all of that is is critical. But um, people, we are at war with a culture that is godless, uh, anti-Christian, and we are we necessarily, for love of God and man, are going to engage in those things. Now, we can just pretend they don't exist, but they're still going to affect us. They're still going to poison us. It's like I'm in a lion's cage. I'm being bitten by a lion, but I'm just going to pretend I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to ignore it and hope it goes away. No, it's going to continue to do damage to you. So you have to ignore it. You have to, you have to um, subdue it. And uh, – as cultural stewards and as members of the kingdom of God, we are called to subdue the world on God's behalf, to help the world to see that all things are actually in submission to him, to make that obvious in space and time. So we're, we want to address these issues, not circle around the issues, not sort of vaguely allude to them, yeah. not just bring them up once in a while, but to, to bring the word of God and the Christian worldview to bear on these things. So having conferences, we're doing a, a seminar right now in our church, talking to one of our other pastors, just dealing with cultural issues. Yep. People flock out to that because they see the need. So those are some things we can do in our churches to, to help equip people, um, parents especially, to equip their children to do battle with the forces of, of darkness. Yeah. I know as a parent in this church that those straightforward conversations that we have in the church at, greatly equip me in my parenting to have the same straightforward conversations with my kids and to just carry it on. Um, Okay. Last question. What can we do to bring change to culture? So we're thinking at the macro level, but there's obviously steps to that. What's, what can our listeners do today, tomorrow, this week, this year, to kind of attack this declining culture? Well, anything you can do to multiply your efforts is beneficial. So back to parenting, when you equip your kids to think Christianly. And then when churches equip families to think Christianly and parents to think Christianly, suddenly you've created an army. Mm -hmm. 
and then uh, we just replicate from there. So we were long-term thinkers, and as we invest uh, in the short term in individual lives, families, parents, children, those numbers begin to replicate. Now, the listeners might laugh at this, but the reality is it's primarily people that have a more Christian worldview that actually produce children, right? We have higher birth rates because we value children. We value the family. So in a certain sense, I mean, it sounds terrible, but we can outbreed them, right? <laughs> if we think long-term. So this is your encouragement <laughs> to have more kids. <laughs> uh, the reality is we're the ones that tend to have the kids, but the problem is we pass them off to the secularists right. and uh, the false teachers, and then our kids get destroyed by them. Talk about a terrible strategy. Um, I mean, even with regard to you know, the homosexual agenda, homosexuals don't have children. Heterosexuals have children. So when heterosexuals have children, the homosexual community either wants to raise those children or at least influence those children to agree with their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So Christian people, Christianized people are the ones that are having the lion's share of the children or at least higher birth rates uh, in, in the Western world still. I mean, we're obviously being challenged by um, you know Islam in that regard. Um, but we need to do a good job. That's just a fact. We need to do a good job in uh, raising those children uh, to think like Christians, and by nature, then they are going to do. They are going to be culture shapers. Um, we also need to live out the Christian worldview robustly, humbly, of course, but dramatically in culture, in front of our people. There's been nothing but good come about from some of the stances churches like ours have taken against tyranny because what it does is it galvanizes people. This is one of the things that um, we have an advantage in. We understand history. We understand the big picture. We understand how history ends. Um, so take, for instance, the, um, uh, the fines that mm -hmm. the state has been levying against churches and in Canada, the the multiple arrests now. So we got a three in Alberta, one in New Brunswick, one in uh, Manitoba, arresting pastors for breaking the health protocols and ministering to their people. Um, this is this is uh, done to um, maintain the control. The government wants to be in control uh, to intimidate and strike fear. That's why you find people with draconian fines. That's why you you arrest them. The problem is it doesn't work. It actually accomplishes the opposite. Yeah. Fans every time the they yeah, every time they arrest, it just fans the flame. But it's like they're too stupid to get that. You're just creating uh like even if our cause wasn't just, you're just creating more martyrs. But our cause is just because it's rooted in scripture. So you're just galvanizing Christians. You're not going to win. Um, if the state was half intelligent, they'd sit down, they'd have meaningful conversations, they'd be collaborative, they'd be you know, um, authentic. They wouldn't be marked by hypocrisy and lies and hiding the truth and all these sorts of things. But um, again, I'm probably digressing there a little mm -hmm. bit. The, these are um, these are ways when we when we resist tyranny that we live out the gospel and the values of the kingdom dramatically, and that actually has a positive effect on other people. So don't be afraid of being public about your faith, public about your views public in your testimony, public in your thoughts, you, whether you like it or not, are shaping culture. Mm -hmm. Silence also shapes culture. 
silence is the breeding ground for tyranny. Silence mm -hmm. is a breeding yep. ground for lies because someone else is always going to be doing the talking. Either we're doing the talking or someone else is going to do the talking. Again, we got here by lies, we get out by truth. If we just let them lie all the time and tell people you're just a product of random chance mm -hmm. or there's no such thing as sexual ethics mm -hmm. or parents really aren't in charge or whatever the message might be, uh, then we're allowing the liars to speak and we have to combat that with truth. And yep. the truth needs to be verbal it also needs to be incarnational, mm -hmm. shown through our actions. Yeah. And so that commitment to speaking the truth always, every day, speaking the truth to our kids, speaking the truth in our church, speaking the truth in our society is critical. And I think that phrase really is helpful. We got here by lies, we get out by truth, but we get out by truth stated and spoken and preached, not just truth meditated upon and silently yeah. remembered. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, it's not just, we're not just, praying our way out of this so that we are praying. We're also preaching our way out of it. That's right. Yeah. So in shaping, and I think shaping, and I think Christians have often been hesitant to be the uh, focal point of controversy. They like to avoid that. And so often when speaking the truth, they kind of have given up the culture, given up, thrown their hands in the air and uh, often don't speak as a result. But then also people don't hear the truth and can't be convicted by it. So oh, yeah, by nature, we're family people. We pay our taxes. We go to work. We work hard. We show up on time. We leave late. Um, we abide by the law. You know, we encourage our people to abide by the law. So that's our default. And when you're in a situation where you're forced to do otherwise because the law is unjust or it's a violation of God's law, then it is uncomfortable. These are mm -hmm. challenging times for us to be in. But hey, people that went before us, um, did a good job of standing for the truth and we're the beneficiaries of that. We're trusting the Lord that future generations will benefit from our fight as well. Mm -hmm. Any final thoughts before we wrap up about the uh, the declining culture and things we can do? Well, I don't want parents to live in fear. You know, we combat the fear narrative and culture, not by being afraid, but by being wise. And, uh, you know, we need to understand that our children are ultimately a stewardship given to us by the Lord. So there's nothing you can do to... 100% keep your children, quote unquote, safe. There's nothing you can do to 100% guarantee that. This is a dangerous world. When you had children, you, by necessity, decided to have children in an unsafe world. Mm -hmm. And this isn't heaven yet. Only God can ultimately keep your children safe. So we just do our best depending on the circumstances we're in. And then we leave the rest of the Lord. But we can help them to develop a robust view of even how suffering galvanizes their faith. So our goal is not to keep our kids from all suffering because they will experience it. We wanna protect our children as adequately as we can, but we also want our children to understand that suffering is a blessing from the Lord. It's actually a promise that comes with the gospel, with the call to follow Jesus. We're, we're following in the footsteps of a man who carried a cross mm -hmm. to his execution. So helping them to understand even how suffering can galvanize them in their faith and help them and equip them to minister to future generations to come. So kind of that balance, keeping our children safe, being proactive, helping them to think through the issues, but not being naive or so ideologically um, perfectionistic to think that, uh, you know, we can actually create a utopian society mm -hmm. here. Um, there's always going to be challenges in helping your kids to think through how they could respond or process um, lies, 
falsehoods, uh, even their own failures to live out the Christian world and life view perfectly is it, it, that's all that those are all uh, opportunities to bring grace to bear on the uh, challenges of life as well. And you know, I think we just want to continue to be praying for you know what's taking place around the world, primarily in um, you know with regard to these lockdowns and health protocols in. In Australia, it's pretty yep. draconian down there with um, the arrest of a couple more pastors in Canada. Those men need to be in our prayers. And we also need to think beyond the Western world to the, to the tyranny of, you know, Islamic um, rule in, in Afghanistan and the people that are suffering under that. I mean, this, this is a challenging world to live in, but the gospel of Jesus Christ comprehensively understood and applied does bring hope and healing. And so we want to do our best and our part to live in light of the gospel that we claim to, um, you know, believe. And in all of that, trust in the Lord to do what we can't. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, you uh, can find our podcast, this Leadership Now podcast on CJXC Radio, played on Con Canada's Constant Christian Companion at 11 a.m. Tuesdays and rebroadcast 11 p.m. Thursdays. And we also are on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network and on their podcast, uh, their app. So you make sure to download that app. There's the Leadership Now podcast. There's the, the Rebel Network podcast that Pastor Aaron mentioned a little bit earlier and a growing number of other podcasts from across the States and Canada. And we're glad to partner with them. Thanks, Aaron, for teaching today and just explaining this. And I think it's really helpful, some tangible takeaways for parents, for churches, and for us to individually take to uh, combat a declining culture. Make sure to subscribe and tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. Mm -hmm.